Welcome to the Dairy Nutrition Black Belt Podcast, dairy nutrition research digested for you. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Adiseo, provider of Smartamine M, the best in-class rumen-protected methionine product for dairy producers who want to optimize milk production. Hi, I'm Bill Weiss, uh, host of the Dairy Nutrition Black Belt. My guest today is Dr. Ben Winter, associate professor at Ohio State University, who's primarily an undergraduate teacher in both nutrition and, and animal management courses. Uh, relative to today's topic, he is also an established expert in the use of continuous culture uh, for manners to evaluate feed. Uh, ben, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Bill. Uh, the topic I'd like to start with is you've done a lot of work on methane mitigation and and use of feed additives on methane mitigation, and, and you often do this with continuous culture. So I guess, what? Why, first of all, why do we care about reducing methane, methane mitigation? Why do we care? Well, it's funny. I saw um, that we might talk about that, and I thought, well, Maybe for you and I, it won't it won't affect us that much, right? Because by the time global warming really kicks in and gets bad, we're probably both going to be gone. Um, but the reality is that there is some climate change and that there is not just um, kind of public concern about this and in different parts of the world, more, more deep concern, but also um, there's financial incentive at this point, right? So if you're an industry that's not considering your climate mitigation, you probably stand a chance to be edged out of it. And so this is just one more competitive facet of the dairy industry. You know, so whether or not you want to care about methane specifically, uh, caring about the climate is also probably going to have some economic value to you too. Most society definitely does care about it and it'll yes. help the dairy industry in the long run. Yeah. What, what, what products have you looked at in general with respect to methane reduction? Yeah, sure. So I, I think I started my PhD looking at some of those medium and short chain fatty acids, like coconut oil, that, that type of work, um, not very successful. And then we, we did more of the nitrate kind of hydrogen allocation or hydrogen stealing and some physiological changes. And since then have pivoted more towards, um, I've collaborated on some of the, the branch chain VFA work and there's some gas data that's going to come out with that too. But uh, especially spend some time focusing on essential oils because there's probably a thousand different essential oil products out there that people try to market. And I've had the opportunity to evaluate some of those. Uh, one of those against some uh, biochar, too. And I'm learning that there's a lot of different biochar products out there. It's a whole different conversation. What, what kind of reductions do you see? I mean, are we talking 5% or 50% reduction? Yeah, that's an interesting question because in, in my personal opinion, if it's less than 10% or, you know, that's kind of my break point, it may not be worth talking about, right? Because you have to upscale the technology and there's a price evaluated. And if it's more than 60, 50 to 60%, I would tell you that that number is probably not even realistic. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I'm not saying that some of the products out there that are claiming 80, 90% don't do something. I'm just saying that there's probably part of the story that's missing. Yeah. And um, because when we, we limit methane, the hydrogen that needs to be allocated somewhere to maintain a really highly fermentative environment has to go somewhere. If we can't account for where it's going, then we don't know the full story. So a lot of those are in the 10 to 30% range usually. 
Um, most of you, I think maybe all, but correct me if I'm wrong, your work has been with continuous culture on looking at methane. That's correct. I guess the first question, is that applicable to a cow? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes and no. So there's two papers or, or one paper and one abstract. Isaac Sulker is a paper at Minnesota. And we abstracted last year where we pulled fluid from cows, tracked its adaptation through the fermenter, and um, the population is actually very similar. So I, I guess it depends on how you mean applicable, because the population of um, microbes that live in there are very similar. It's not the same as taking um, rumen fluid and running a batch culture that you might terminate in three to six hours, because in dual flow fermenters, we're adapting the culture over time to the treatment. So you can see a lot of a lot of additives might have really short-term effects, but the microbes have a way of coping with the things that you throw at them. And so if you wait a week, 10 days, um, usually it takes about five days to adapt and about four days to capture samples. You now have an adapted culture where the microbes are doing their very best to resist what you throw at them. Mm-hmm. And you can measure true inhibition of methane production and really see then where is that hydrogen going elsewhere, capture that. At a sale, a global leader in nutritional solutions and the provider of Smart Amine M. Visit MilkPay.com to calculate your return on investment when you balance your feed with amino acids. And to learn how Smart Amine M is the product for dairy producers who want to optimize milk production, component levels, and the lifetime performance of their herds. So what, what, I guess to branch out a little bit, what else can, can, can t- continuous culture be used for with, with respect to dairy nutrition? Yeah, it's an interesting question because um, one of the principles of continuous culture across the different designs is they almost always empty at the top. And the cow's rumen doesn't empty at the top, right? So if you look at flow dynamics, we've done some work to adapt the displacement and the mixing to kind of optimize for fiber. So at this point, we can do a pretty good job of treatment effects on NDF or ADF digestibility. But uh, where historically the fermenter was kind of notorious for a lot of ADF collection at the bottom of the jar. Um, starch, sugars, those, those kind of inquisitions, not nearly so useful. So I can, I can use the jar to modulate uh, pH and, and kind of create a fake subacute rumen acidosis situation. That's really useful because I don't have to impose all that stress on the cow. Everything can go really sideways and I can just reset. And, but if I'm looking at maybe an effect of a treatment on starch digestibility or on sugars, you know, sugars have gotten a lot of interest in the industry. The fermenter is not a very good fit for those because um, they're pretty well always 98, 99% digestible and they disappear pretty readily. Mm-hmm. But when we look at fiber digestibility, um, when we look at uh, nitrogen availability, so rumen ammonia or protein degradation. And if we are trying to link those to VFA pathways, we have total collection here where VFA would disappear in the cow. We can actually capture all of the VFA and no true production. And we can calculate the interconversion of VFA. We can look at the total you know, net, net production, essentially. And that's really useful. Mm-hmm. We've done some fatty acid work. I think there's an abstract a couple of years ago. Fatty fats and fatty acids are kind of tricky because they may float, they may not, depending on how you dose them in. Um, proteins are the same way. Some protein is soluble. Some protein is going to sink. Get some funny data there. So there's there's definitely some limitations to the the system too. 
So would this be, I guess, to wrap up here, do you think this, if you find a, a discovery with continuous culture, can that be used then to set up in vivo experiments or should it be used to set up in vivo experiments? Yeah, absolutely. What I like to think of is, let's say I've got a new product and I want to screen it. And in vitro screening, just to tell you if it has some viability, is good. It takes a day, get a good read. Then before you go to scale it to a cow study, that's probably pretty expensive. Yeah. You scale it through a, a fermenter study, a dual flow continuous culture study, and um, takes you maybe a few months. But you start to understand the room and dynamic piece of it before you move on. We've been able to extract the microbial populations that change. We've been able to look at methane production, um, isotope-labeled nitrogen and where it displaces or isotope-labeled carbon. Really um, cool information. Sometimes we're even taking in vivo studies and going backwards to explain what we're seeing in the cow by using the jar to do that. Well, this has been, this is something I don't know much about and it's been interesting. Thank you for uh, joining us today. Absolutely. 